Hello, welcome to the first in the series of the LGPOD, the Lemongrass podcast. This is where we discuss the current affairs within the music community. Today we're discussing the death of the music industry, the recent movie release of Whiplash, and the introduction to 24 Hour Tube and what that will mean for what we do. For more information on Lemongrass, check us out on Facebook at Lemongrass Pro. Enjoy! <laughs> My name's Mike Newman. Joshua Rose. Jack Lonigan. Doug Weeks. Really hurt, I got a blister on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Anyway. So yeah, um we're gonna talk about a couple of different things that we have come across in the last couple of weeks, uh, that are changing in the music community slash industry thing. Mm-hmm. Some of the articles we're going to talk about today, um, one of them's from, uh, well, I found it on Fresh on the Net, and it was originally published by Jimmy Mulhill. Uh, Is that the guy from the recordings? Yeah, it is. No, yeah. rehearsal studio. Yeah, yeah it's the guys, the guys from Bally Rehearsal Studios in Tottenham, Hale. Yeah. And it was reposted by uh, Massimo Zipatelli, which is a very nice name. Uh, and it's entitled The Death of the London Music Scene Part 1. And um, I did look for Part 2. <laughs> I looked for Part 2 as well. But I kind of like that there isn't a Part 2 yet. Well, yeah. Because it's just like, you know, the, the scene's still happening. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Good enough. They're going to wait until another <laughs> six venues close and then they're going to write another article. <laughs> the last venue has shut down. <laughs> I told you this would happen. Well, it's going apocalyptic. Yeah. But then we're going to talk about a couple of other things as well. Like, what was the other articles? So I've brought in uh, an article from. Uh, Richard Brody um, about Whiplash um, and he says that it gets jazz all wrong that's the that? drumming film isn't it yeah that's yeah. basically uh, Miles ha- Teller this guy Simmons. not nailing a blast beat <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, and I personally thought the film was was, was great as a, as a film and uh, probably one of the best films I've seen in, in a long time but Richard Brody and the jazz community as a whole have brought up some pretty interesting issues that they have with the film and how it represents being a musician uh, in general and jazz as an art form. Or how, um, how it misre- misrepresents. Yeah, exactly. Is that the fastest you can play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the quote that rang my bell. And, 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 and a lot of bells have been rang by this film and I feel like it's, it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> That's another like massive jazz standard right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be talking because I've got and a report, so it's going to get real interesting. Oh, you got a report. <laughs> it's going to get real serious. No, not really. Um, I'm going to talk about the introduction of 24 Hour Tube on the weekend. Oh, banging! And mm. I mean, people it, can leave whenever they want. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, winning. If we're, if we're going to be talking about music venues, then obviously it's going to have a massive impact. So, I've got, got some figures which TFL, our benevolent overlords, have provided, which are probably <laughs> nonsense. But we'll see. benevolent overlords of TFL. Exactly. <laughs> this this will cost you fifty p more between this and then. Really? Okay. So, how about the music? Death of part one. Part, death of the London music scene, part one. Yeah. Okay, well, um, to summarize, no. Um, uh, they, go, they, they, they start by saying um, the music industry is the most competitive industry imaginable, which is fair. Um, and London, they claim London is its epicenter. Um, 
I do see that as a bit of a accurate claim. To be fair, it would you know? Yeah, not necessarily in exclusively a positive way, but uh, yeah, there's definitely truth to it, especially in England. Mm. Yeah, this is true. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly in England. Yeah, uh, they they compare it to. Uh, yeah, they compare it to the bands that move to the capital to promote themselves as musicians uh, are akin to um, goldfish in their bowls. Their ambi- ambitions grow to the potential size of their market. And considering that there's 10 million people in London, that means that uh, they deal with a lot of bands and have grand ambitions. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's the biggest pond. Yeah, well, these guys run. Yeah, they they, they the, yeah, it is the biggest pond. Yeah, but these guys are running a, a rehearsal studio in Tottenham Hale, so they've seen guys that have they 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 go into the beginning of the beginning of the article. They start talking about how they see the amount of people that come through their their rehearsal studio mm. as being and you know unbridled passion for what they do, um, and they. You know they thrive on being together as a unit, as a band, and um, sometimes that is enough, and sometimes that isn't enough because they've had guys that have come through and they've made it super big. Like um, I believe that Bombay Bicycle Club yeah, actually went through, yeah, went to this rehearsal studio, and now they but just as like, closed doors. You know, cl- teenagers, yeah. as teenagers, yeah, 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 they were like making tea and pot noodle and all that sort of stuff. Other brands available. Um, <laughs> tea. Yeah. Pot noodle. Sponsored by tea. Yeah. Tea and the brands available. England sponsored by tea. Um, but they they go through and they talk about um, Bobby Bicycle Club as one of the uh, what, guys. Amy Winehouse is in there and all this um, all these people that they see arrive with you know the same passion, but some of them get taken on and some of them don't. And uh, some of them go out and they, you know, as, you know, I'm not sure. That actually ties quite nicely in with this article, actually. Um, Earl's Court, the venue in um, Earl's Court. (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely forgot where it was. (laughs) Um, Closed, like... Uh, what was it? It was December. Very, very yeah, yeah, December. I was there the last day game. before. Yeah, I was. I was there the day before it closed, and it was. It was a really weird feeling. But um, it was, I don't think I've ever seen people like purposefully trying to lift things out with forklifts to take home. Yeah. <laughs> Just being like, "This oh. is mine." <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, yeah, that was the day. The, the Bombay Bicycle Club were the last band to play there, and they got joined on stage by Dave Gilmore. Yeah. And they played these couple of tunes, and you know, people that found out the Bombay Bombay Basketball Club were playing in Earl's Court. There's been mixed feelings towards that. People have just been like, "What? They're big enough to play there for a start, and also fair play, they're playing there." Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so some people anyway. wanted it closed off by an act that would kind of represent what had gone on there through the whole time. That's true. Yeah, and uh, I think. I, I, I see the point. I think that I think that's fair. But at the same time, like Earl's Court has been host to God the, knows what. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's been rich the whole time. So I I didn't have so much of a problem with that. Oh no no no. Well oh here we go. Here's the actual part of the article. The end of Earl's Court, which is a rather sad picture. But um, uh, that you know they talk about why does London need. A venue and a source of income like that completely bulldozed in order for it to be replaced by 
you know, semi-luxury housing. Semi-luxury? said they're opening... Yeah. opening Uber-luxury housing. opening flats for 595,000. Oh, it's not what I would call luxury. <laughs> Mid- middling at best. Middling yeah. at best, yeah. 595,000 per flat. And they're, they're like, you know, ones and two beds. Yeah, flats. That, that is an average, isn't it? And retail <laughs> space. But to be fair, if uh, you actually went in the vent, went in the real venue, nice road right next to us. Oh, yeah, beautiful, <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Nice. and you should see those train tracks. You know, what I mean? <laughs> but um, you know, if you actually went into the venue, it would it needed a lot of renovation. Oh yeah, like, for it sure. was working, but it needed a lot of renovation yeah. in order to, for it to move forward as a money making ex- exposition, which is essentially what all these things are. Nice. But um, yeah. you know, it was it was getting rough around the edges. But because they'd arguably because other venues of the similar age, like the event in Apollo in Hammersmith and things like that, that is something that is maintained mm. at, a, at a very, very active, you know, as an active stage. Mm. And if I think this they, had yeah. already had the Black Shroud put over it, I think because it was so big, people kind of got scared off by it. Yeah. And they didn't want to... Because it was such a massive job when anything small needed doing. Like, I, I remember being in there and... The, the sort of work lights which are just the strip lights on the ceiling like one in like ten was working mm. and I was just like well, why, why is that and it's like, oh yeah it's probably because they need to be at least 30 metres off the floor to change the bulb <laughs> you know what I mean that's yeah. you know that's a, that's a genuine mission for someone to be able to get up and do anyway um, this article then goes on to talk about venues like the 12 Bar Club in which had a you know a sit-in and has had uh, let me just try and find the figure, but it's there was a crazy date on that. Like twelve, it's like no, it was like sixteen, sixteen, seventy. I mean, yeah. not as a blues venue. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. At the same time, like, dum, dum, I remember those days. On loot. Yeah, I mean, you've got to appreciate a lot of London is. You know, it's in really some old. ways been you know changed purposes, but so I mean, yeah, a bit. Re- read the list of um, they had the list, which uh, admittedly I was quite I was quite uh, weirdly proud to see Powers like second on. Yeah, the list. I know, right? Well, pa- I think you might have missed it. We're based in. We should probably tell you we're based up in North London, um, Northwest London. Wolsdon massive representing. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not representing Wolsdon massive. Right? Yeah. I'm just saying. Are they even Where a, are you? Is that list? Even an outfit? Massive? Maybe. <laughs> it is now. We've all had. Uh, it's probably the local like Bowls Club name. So. <laughs> We've all had some level of investment in uh, Kilburn and the surrounding areas, uh, especially as a as a music scene. And Powers was very much alive in the last five. In when we kind of oh, were, were flourishing in London, kicking until two years ago. Yeah, and uh, two three years ago, and things changed. Which is exactly things changed that we here. will not go into because we're trying to keep this clean. Yeah. I'll get a nod. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I was overall, at Powers for the last. I was at Powers for the last like three, three or four months, and it, it did not go well. Yeah, that was an experience. Um, but, it mean, was you, an experience, but yeah. it's the reason I'm doing this. That, so, anyway, you do wonder like that of, of the you know if you can find that, let's be good. Like, yeah, I've got you, it. I've got it. Uh, but the, there, there must have been just these individual like management issues in a lot of them, like. Yeah. That the the one that I mean that again the Luminaire which I think of uh, Jack and Josh 
might not have been around when no, that was. Yeah. You missed it, so that was, it was already great. closed. I think it was our first or second. It was year. our first. It was first and second year. Yeah, so I mean, second year it closed. Like renowned independent music. Yeah, venue. like, like renowned, award-winning. I mean, yeah, timeout oh, timeouts venue of Europe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Five years in a row. But at the same was. at the same point, like losing money hand over fist by the sound of it. Absolutely, but they were back of house issues with that. Yeah, as, mm. as they must be with yeah. all of these things. Oh, you know, they like, were back of house issues <laughs> with powers. I can tell you that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, anyway. Okay. Um, this list, this list. Okay, so I'll just to summarize. No, um, the list is that's the... not going to become a thing, but no, 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 no. <laughs> it's absolutely not. I just had Alana Hill and I ringing in my ears. Yeah. <laughs> to summarize. Anyway, um, uh, the list goes as follows: uh, the twelve bar, which is uh, sixteen thirty-five. It would open. Yeah. <laughs> um, off the top of this guy's head, venues that have closed in the last several last number of years are the Bull and Gate Infinity Powers Bar the Luminaire the Walthamstow Standard the Peel the Flower Pot the Astoria Madame Jojo's the Buffalo Bar the Joiner's Arms and numerous other venues all across London yeah. have closed down in recent years the, hung, uh, the 100 Club nearly closed what? after its rent increased from 11,000 to 166,000 that in, was over in, 30 years. In then. 25 years, yeah, since 80, 1985. But thankfully it was wow, saved. That's, see, I remember when, I was, when I was young, because um, I'm, I'm, me and Josh are from Seaside Town, Weymouth and Portland, and uh, my dad is touring bassist, and, and he used to be going up to London to play the 100 Club, and it was this yeah. thing, it was this like, oh, dad's going to the 100 well, Club, that's amazing. Every play there, it's and, what he's got, but it's yeah. like... A hundred club is under it's under the floor. And these, just just hearing the the idea of that that being under risk is is kind of that was a strange thing to hear just then. Just but there are ways and means that it was under risk because of the people it was owned by. Exactly, they were allowed it, going there. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> that's the thing. Like all, all of these things, it can it can be attributed to this big overall like pressure that's put on these venues. But at the same time, there are places that haven't fallen. Yeah, victim mm. to all this stuff, and but I'd be unsurprised. To, mm. I'd be unsurprised to find out that they are the ones who have their stuff together really really well eh? well at the same no, time I'm not be, saying that's yeah, a blanket rule there must be yeah. something to be said for why a lot of these bigger venues have gone so corporate because yeah. in a in a weird way as long as as much as I don't agree with it mm. it keeps its stability of mm, management yes. surely I mean like if, if all of these if, for yeah. profit and loss is much is is so far above it as a venue. But at the same time, it has structure. Yeah. If a lot of these venues are folding because they are independent, which is, is the, the best and worst, really, mm. because you've got... If it's a great little team that works, it'll be fantastic. Like, realistically, as far as I know, Ronnie Scott's is still completely oh, yeah. independent and anywhere. in-house. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that's a, it's a world prestige venue, but at the same time, like, something like the Astoria, mm. which... That I, I, you know, when that when they said that that was going to close, I mean, yeah. that's that's like a super historic venue, yeah. In a way that maybe something like the Hippodrome, but that was completely repurposed, yeah. And that um, is fantastic. Now. But also the Brixton Academy, because but again, that's that's in the corporate bubble. But mm. that place yeah. has survived when it potentially wouldn't have if it hadn't been taken over by you know. Was yeah, it, was it an O2 or it's O2, yeah, it's O2, O2 it's Academy like the, the sort of or Carling as it used to be. Kind of, yeah. It's not owned by the sponsor. Struggle there between the sort of options you've got 
Like the whole with the Madam Jojo's thing and the whole what's it the Save Save Our Soho campaign or right, yeah. whatever that campaign's called. It's like Yeah, you you just think if you were owning one of these places and you are sort of losing money, your rent's just increasing and increasing or whatever, and you're you're faced with closure or just hemorrhaging money mm. uh, or for want of a better phrase selling out and having some like higher power take over the management of things yeah. it's it's just they're, they're, rock and a hard place yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it is absolutely rock and a hard place but you know there are things like we're reading we're reading updates daily and I'm getting verbal updates from one of the managers on the actual street um, Denmark Street I was, yeah. is on for <laughs> on for complete bulldozer ship and mm. repurposing of London and I'm just like uh, there's there's loads of articles that are just towards the sort of generalization that London is not a place for music anymore, and but large large on a larger scale than that, the UK isn't a place for music anymore. There's grassroots music. Grassroots this music. Is what, yeah, this absolutely. Is, have, but the thing is, is if you don't have grassroots music, you don't have the investment in the future. Yeah, because if the people that are you know the people like the Beatles, the people like the Rolling Stones, the people like the Who, the people like all that sort of stuff, uh, the that back that back that uh, that back catalog is making an awful lot of money for those people still. Yeah, right. And but if we don't have the people coming up to the top and replacing those guys, yeah, it's going to stop. Yeah, well, I mean, they, uh, was it in that? Yeah, it was in that. It was saying. The funding required. I mean, this is again like without busting into a you know anti-financial sector rant. Like they said, it was between zero point zero 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 percent, zero point zero 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 one, and zero point zero 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 one of the amount that the banks were given as a bailout. If that was invested back into the arts or specifically to encourage music, which you know, admittedly has a massive like potential turnover yeah you know it would it would that would be a big contribution but it's not seen as a priority mm. and it but to, to the extent that it's not seen a priority that it's not cared about yeah like every time there's i haven't seen any articles recently like what um i wish i could remember the exact name now but when was the last time we like read an article about the arts that wasn't about cuts yeah exactly wow, yeah good point but you at the same I mean? time okay there was a was it the Bell, oh no, Ulster, Ulster Orchestra. Yeah, I might be wrong in that. Okay, you know, very historical. I believe it's Northern Irish one. Very historical, and that was faced with cuts, and it was a widespread. You know, absolutely, this is terrible news. Mm -hmm. And and that the story was that it averted being cut. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's what counts as positive. Absolutely, news yeah. yeah. Arts it, funding. it, it yeah. didn't something die. Did, something survived <laughs> for now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. But the thing, you know, the thing is, is I I'll I'll just really quickly come back on to yeah. what you just quoted there, which was um, from this article as well. The the, the death of the music industry. Um, uh, more than one trillion pounds is made available to bail out the banks based on their integral place within the UK economy, with eight eight hundred and fifty billion dollars actually being spent. Yet, despite the music industry only needing infrastructural investments. On a f of a fraction of the amount. All right. Ah, don't look up. <laughs> literally, 
0.0001% to 0.001% of that total, it does not appear to be forthcoming as a result of the... As a result, the slide of unsigned music industry in London continued, with venues and rehearsal studios being closed down to generate more short-term profits and more and more bands moving elsewhere to find more lucrative music scenes. So what, okay, if we're going on that, what does closing rehearsal studios mean? Well, closing rehearsal studios and making rehearsal studios less available, I I really think that that just prevents people from being able to rehearse. Like, peop, you know... Musicians like drummers and, uh, you know, heavy metal bands. Big noisemakers. But yeah, big noisemakers. We are big noisemakers as musicians, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't had that many complaints for practicing in my room, primarily because I don't practice. People that practice drums or have a band need somewhere to go and practice in London, primarily because everybody is so hostile to the idea that someone can actually be louder than the talking level in a house. Yeah. Well, Josh, you've, you've noticed that firsthand since moving to London, that hmm. your practice regime has actually changed. Well, I took it upon myself, um, with the help of Padre, to build a little sort of... Uh, vibration reducing platform right on and then i bet another one for my drums um, <laughs> uh, but no yeah for, for my drums and also muting the drums themselves well, and, sound off kind of um and yeah reaching out to the neighbors yeah um and and initially i think it was the first day yeah uh, that i moved into this place um I don't think they were in downstairs or whatever, but I wrote them a note explaining the situation, inviting them to come up and see the proportions I'm taking, explaining that I used to live um, next door to a family with um, a very, very, very young child, like probably not even one, mm. um, and there were no complaints there and this sort of thing. And um, I don't find myself playing the drums loud unless it's on a gig, really. Um, just because I can practice in my room because of these precautions I've taken, but it's not the same. You know, like, you know, I will go to a studio every now and again to play with bands and this and that, but mostly it's gigging and it's not the way I'd like to go about it. You know, I think it's just, it's the way I see it is there's more that there is no substitute for exactly full volume. And you don't, you don't have, and if your facility to do that is being like constantly just shaved off at either end you know yeah. It's, yeah. It's... but if if the facility that it, we all have like we have uh, in this you know in our in a stone's throw away from our house we have resident studios we have octopus studios we also have uh, you, you, you know, you can just keep listing these studios. Rolling it used in. to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, they're awesome studios. Go to them. No, they genuinely, they genuinely are, are awesome yeah, studios. Go places. to them. Keep those places alive. But the thing is, is they do what they do and they do what they do well. But there are places like Lab Grove Studio, Grove Studios, that's in serious trouble at yeah. the moment. You know what I mean, right? And it's in serious trouble for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is that the rent just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Right. But as there are fewer and fewer places like music venues and also rehearsal studios, but there are still the same ish amount of bands, barring some fluctuation, obviously. But every time I go to one of those rehearsal studios, it's usually full. Oh, yeah. You're right? struggling. You're always struggling to You're get struggling. spaces. But the thing is, is as the spaces get fewer in number, the prices are going to go up. Of course. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that, again, is a, a preventative thing 
People think that you, oh, oh you, you 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 know musician you you are poor why are you poor you, oh it's because you have a two thousand pound guitar is it mm-hmm. it's because you spend nine thousand pounds on a drum kit or is it you know you bought that microphone that you needed or you have the PA system that's worth half a house mm-hmm. you know what I mean and then you you know well it's what was it it's um, the analogy for um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know a musician is you buy five thousand pounds worth of equipment and you drive around in a five hundred pound car yeah. to and a five pound gig to yeah. a five pound <laughs> gig exactly yeah. you know what I mean to a five pound gig but the thing is is with all of that with all the infrastructure that's not being supported by a government slash economy slash you know it has to become wider public yeah. Yeah. wider public that doesn't necessarily accept or appreciate what it does well this is interesting because they think the music industry is the x factor this might just be like a sort of (laughs) passing comment what you said just reminded me of something i read yesterday regarding um cd sales and sort of where money's going with regards to the sale of music so it's slightly different but there was a comment in there which said um scarcity is where um the music industry thrives right as as in like Mm. For example, you know, like I, you could make the argument that vinyl is seen as more scarce, more valuable than mm. a digital yeah. download and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's on the up. Um, but I suppose you could sort of apply that thing to um, venues and studio, like rehearsal studios. If the numbers are decreasing, they are they are going to become more valuable. Like not only like as an asset, but in sheer. The money you have to pay for their time, you know, well, I, I the, think the demand what, is yeah. going to go up, and if it's not, yeah. not necessarily the way it wants to be pushed. You know, you don't mm. want to have to pay through the nose to just to practice. Well, there are things that are things like survival of the fittest, which is an obvious thing. It's just like if that rehearsal studio is going really well in that area, and it has a really good name for itself, it will survive. Mm. If that venue, if by same by same brush, goes really well in that area, it's going to survive. But the thing is, is we're not talking about the venue. The venue can be absolutely astonishingly amazing, and then they build a new housing development next to it. They get more than five complaints from uh, environmental health about their music going on. They get closed down. Well, that's the that's blind just tiger how it happens. Blind, the Blind Tiger Club in Brighton, isn't it? It's that when um, just before I left Brighton to come up here, there's a really really great venue, Blind Tiger Club. Sort of loads of cool bands you'd come came through there like part of their tours playing London pop down to Brighton like um, just as sort of like Alt-J and people like this were on the up they'd play there and like right. it wasn't a huge place but you know it would be packed out and they also had like blues jazz like loads of cool smaller sort of community local nights and genres yeah had, a, had yeah. a great reputation this place some guy moves in upstairs complains he knows what he's getting himself in for for a start complains and then the venue goes goes through all the motions, limiters, this and that. Um, an e-petition pops up, which gets tens of thousands of signatures. I think it got like, let's well, say tens of 50,000. No, yeah. it had, I think it had 12,000 or 13,000 or something. And, um, and it still ended up closing. Yeah. It's just... Mm-hmm. Um, There's that kind of sense of like... It's the squeeze, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You, what, can you, what can you do? This is what I was sort of getting up, the, the scarcity thing. It's like, through factors that you wish weren't there through funding not being available and things these places are closing but um, i think even if they yeah. are well managed and they are really reputable and this sort of thing i think um, there's a, there's a problem with rehearsal studios because there are a couple of big ones in london that are the places that when these big acts go out 
they have a relationship or that management yeah. company has a relationship <clears throat> with that studio. So mm. their live show, you mean, you see these like, you know, uh, well, big, big American artists, but even like big British artists are going to want to get up to speed for tour. Bands, mm. yes, artists, absolutely, because they've mm. probably got some big live show. And the fact, as with everything, like we talked about with venues, with a corporate structure, it's the it's the musicians with corporate backing and the vent and the rehearsal studios with corporate backing that are within they've got no danger of shutting well it's things yeah. like LH, LH2 uh, LH2 is a rehearsal studio it's a production rehearsal studio over in Acton yeah and it is vast yeah it's, but it's absolutely st- astonishing resource but when they built that place they had an absolutely massive main room which is like I've done shows with uh, rehearsals with Pharrell uh, and the uh, uh, what's it the world's I forgot what it was called what War of the Worlds that's it <laughs> War of the Worlds <laughs> things like this right they're big productions that are going out on arena tours oh, right, and they've right, right. got absolutely massive PA systems massive lighting rigs all this sort of stuff yeah, yeah. but in the same infrastructure within that building they have small band rooms small band rooms that you can go stuff. and rehearse in you know what I mean you can just hire that out they also have cage hire for bands Cage hire is a massive thing. Like where bands are, have essentially have done well-ish and they've gone out on tour for a little while, but they've bought a van load of equipment that is specific to them. Oh, of course, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They then put that in a cage, which is usually in a rehearsal studio. Yeah, you know what I mean, like things in Grove and all this sort of stuff. But there's in L- in LH two, there's that as well. So there's massive resources for the bigger side of the music industry at the same time as they've made provision for the smaller side as well. Mm. You know what I mean, but. You know, it's still out in it's in an industrial estate in Acton, which is fine. But there's um, just to kind of round round up on this, mm. uh, round up on this topic. Um, they go after the um, the zero point zero 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 percent. The funding. Uh, yeah. The fun after the funding, they they talk about as a result of the slide of the unsigned music industry in London. Conti- uh, London continues uh, with venues and rehearsal studios being closed down to generate more short term profits. And more and more bands moving elsewhere to find more lucrative music scenes. Uh, it would cost too much to build around a venue like the Astoria, with it being cheaper to demolish it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, um, flats above flats above a music venue bring in more quick taxes in the short term and and in stamp duty, so they're given preference. The Luminaire is now thirty eight flats, mm-hmm. which is going to give more more earning per square foot well, that's you know what I mean but it's not earning the same cultural yeah, it's view, viewing the arts as a cost rather than as an investment exactly yeah that's that attitude isn't it? I mean, that, dis- that, despite the short term thinking and the case for, the sh- for quick profits over long term stability being behind the economic crash this practice is being continued by the government that risks killing the careers of bands that could go on to sell 100 million records with each record generating VAT revenues of £1.66. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you sell 100 million records and they're all, each time you're selling it, it gains in VAT £1.66, that's a genuine gain. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's a long-term thought. It's unquantifiable, isn't it? It's unquantifiable, exactly. But the thing is, is, it is the unquantifiable things that we do you know when people when people say that uh, we are musicians that was that's the sort of realm that we we play in is the unquantifiable because mm. we can't define it 
and that's that, you know the money people that's what hate, we like. hate the money them. people hate, absolutely hate it hate the unquestionable and I usually have, we absolutely hate the money people but never mind <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I, I have time. one big I have one big question to just ask before this ends yeah. with with London being seen or treated at least as the hub of England's like economic activity mm. and Great Britain and mm. Great Britain yeah, exactly yeah. exactly uh, and that combined with what we're seeing as a slide in the kind of independent music world of London. Mm. Uh, personally, what do you guys guys think it's going to take to to get that on the upswing and change that back around? Investment, like, yeah, the the investment in the sense not not as in putting money into the pockets of people who are going to open little studios and open venues and this sort of thing, but as a mindset. Um, just a bit of sort of belief for the long term yeah, like, that these things will pay off financially which is obviously what the higher ups want but that it's it's more than that you know it's yeah. a cultural thing it's it's an investment you need to nurture these things and allow them to grow and if places keep closing it's well like, it's one of the it's one of the main sort of joys of being a musician is you can be play, you can be standing on a stage 10 years before that person is you know t- sorry 10 years after that point that you're sharing the stage with them they're on Wembley Arena or mm. they're out on a massive world tour and all this sort of stuff and but if we don't invest if we have such a if we have such a closed perception of what we need to do in order to be a successful city you know, because it is—it's a world-leading city. This place, I'm sure. You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't doesn't feel like we're part of that world. And absolutely, yeah, but it's, it's a world-leading it's a world-leading city in the way that um you know the money goes through here, yeah. and yeah. the way that the you know the the high-end fashion goes through here, and the high-end um uh, uh, entertainment goes through here, like the West End. Yeah, it is the West End and Broadway. You know what I mean? Name me another street. Yeah, <laughs> name me another region of theatres. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the West End and Broadway, and that is a fantastic source of entertainment. And I, I just generally think that it's people it, when people complain about venues being loud. Perhaps you should have thought of that when you did the research to moving into your new house. If there's a mm. venue down the road, it might be a little bit loud on a weekend. You know, it's yeah. it's things like that, but. Uh, automatically the venue is made the bad guy or the rehearsal studio yeah, is made the bad guy and the musicians made the bad guy because for example we've had personal experience of this mm. people go we've gone into you've gone into an estate agent oh yeah and they <laughs> just, you don't want to get me started <laughs> i don't want to get you started on this but you know we've got it, it, that is definitely a conversation for another time which it I'm is sure definitely we have, we'll have time for absolutely absolutely mm. but you know like we are it's 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 allowed it's a it doesn't have to be a loud profession but it can be at some yeah. point you know what I mean? But with decibel limiters, I was talking about this last night in a gig. Uh, so yeah, exactly. I had a gig last night in, in a bar in central London, which is part of a hotel, right? That bar is independent to the hotel that's above it, right? They had to pay £600 five times to move the five people that were above the bar in the rooms. And the hotel that they're a part of, find them. Right. Right. Now they're talking about setting a limiter in the bar at 95 decibels. If it reaches above 95 decibels mm. for two minutes continuously, the entire stage power will be cut off. Yeah. Right? Now, 
A snare drum is is between a hundred and five and a hundred and twenty, a hundred and fifteen <laughs> decibels over a, an extremely short period of time. Absolutely, yeah. but if you get well, there was there's eight of us in this band, mm. you know what I mean. And I'm playing djembe and percussion. We've got a you know wow. bass rig, gem. Uh, we've got a bass rig, percussion rig, drum rig, keyboard rig. You know the people that were in the room were absolutely loving it. Yeah, they're shouting and hollering. Absolutely loving it. But if one one iota of actual consideration was given to the fact that there was going to be a band in there last night, the hotel could have saved themselves a whole lot of trouble and just filled the top floor because the hotel was not full in any shed. Any stretch mm. of the imagination. Give those guys free tickets to the gig downstairs, actually. Exactly. <laughs> Get you know them to I mean? loosen it's up a bit. Like it's, well, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I but I think we'll yeah. come back. We'll come back yeah. to this sort of topic as this as part two arrives. Yeah. I'd, well, I'd, I'd imagine if we've only got one episode on the state of London venues, then we'd be not doing very well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I'll just finish with what Jack said about um, what could be done. I mean, I think unfortunately it. The, the the point of that article is that the old way is done. Mm-hmm. The old way is done. Like, we can't... I think an investment would work, but realistically, I can't ever see it happening. It's like in the same way that the the Olympics were like, you know, this huge, uh, you know, in, just mega investment in sport. Which... 8.9 billion was spent on the London Olympics. Yes, <laughs> so, you know that that's that's great, but I mean realistically, that that kind of thing just doesn't happen for you know grassroots music. But at the same time, I think it's about it's about like diversifying. I think if a music st- rehearsal studios are just going to have to scrap the idea that all they need to be, I mean, I've been to rehearsal studios that like the classic train arch. They're all over the place, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's yeah, a good use Scarf of these. And stuff like yeah, it's yeah. a good use of them, but they're so basic. Yeah, mm. they they have no secondary function whatsoever. These guys, if you're if you're building a new studio now, only think about this because um, uh, Shapeshifter Labs in yeah, Brooklyn, yeah, 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 which yeah. is something to do with Matt Garrison, is this fantastic bass player. That's where Snarky. Yes, started. they yeah, did a re- yeah, they yeah. did a recording of that album there. Yeah. Um, but what that place is is everything that you might need. Yeah. You know, it is, is, it, is it is a rehearsal studio. It's also got the capability of recording a live DVD professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It probably, I'm imagining, has a recording studio there. Yeah. yeah. I just think that, yes, of course, those places like crazy multimedia studios or labs or whatever you call them are going to cost a fortune, and there may not be many of them. But that is the only feasible way yeah. of making it. They ha- it has to be. It's so much about content nowadays. And rehearsal studios are fantastic. But realistically, the idea of a rehearsal studio is probably going to have to be yeah. absorbed into a bit. It, it maybe even absorbed into studios because studios yeah. are still <clears throat> are still. I mean, they're, again, they're closing, but it's a much more stable business model. Yeah. On know? that point, yeah. uh, big shout out to Atlas Studios and Blue Studios in Dalston for being yeah. exactly that. Exactly They are that. a very exciting place to keep an eye on for Blue Studios. Reason, for the, yeah. uh, recording yeah. studio, rehearsal spaces, exactly, yeah. Infinity Wall hangar for doing all this stuff, and a venue inside it with a kitchen. I can't think of a better place. <laughs> like, that is it's just got everything. a kitchen in it. That's, that's how you get jacked. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <But> <laughs> So uh, check those guys out, and please, if you find any way that you can, you can to 
push forward the idea of, of independent grassroots music getting out there, whether it's helping out a rehearsal studio or finding the kind of places that need the support. Go out and do that within your means because... Look for listings. Because if you're passionate about this stuff mm. and you want to keep it around, you are, the, you are one of that huge crowd of people who can keep that going and, and, and keep that going mm. for the foreseeable future and, and, and musicians musicians will do it musicians will do it if there's four people in the, if there's well, if there's four people in the audience or there's 400,000 people in the audience we will we'll play our chef you know what i mean we'll mm. we'll make we'll make our music mm. and the thing is is there's some there's some people that facilitate themselves doing that by having day jobs or having having a separate job aside of that and stuff and you know what that's what works for right now but um i think everybody at the moment as in the entire of the population is getting to grips with what life is now that we Absolutely. have, that we can be in each other's heads, in each other's pockets, in each other's, you know, access, access each other immediately at any point in time that we want to. Mm. And I think we're all kind of still reeling from that and getting, some people are doing really, really well out of it. Mm. Some people aren't doing that very well out of it, but you, we really need to give music a chance in this. And it is not just about the guys that are selling Selling hundred twenty thousand, hundred twenty thousand tickets every single time they go out on a gig, you know it's it is about the guys down the end of, on the corner of your street that is going out and playing music because you never know those guys could well be out selling hundred twenty thousand tickets at the same time, mm. Mm. you know, and making your life better and more interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Going you... out and actually meeting people face to face. God forbid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, right. We'll stop talking about that now. to Whiplash which has been uh, making some waves in in the film world at the minute um, if you haven't seen it go and, and check it out world. and the music world definitely yeah. um, so this is a, a film about a young jazz drummer who is at the most prestigious music school in America and his relationship with an incredibly intense band leader who wants to push him to get the most out of him and uh, the this is the director Damien Chazelle's uh, second feature film and it's based heavily on his experiences that he actually had at college where he said that he was living a life of just tempos and studying the greats and jazz records and memorizing scores and it really comes through in the film which is just an intense absolutely uh, vicious push for greatness and uh, um, we'd like to talk about uh, an article that Richard Brody wrote in the New Yorker called Whiplash Gets Jazz All Wrong and he addresses some of the points that m many jazz aficionados have had uh, against the film, saying that it misrepresents what jazz is at its core and what it is to be a musician. Um, so everybody here has all seen the film, yeah? Yeah, we've all seen it. Yes, indeed. Um, what were your thoughts on it as just a film? I really liked it. As in, as a... Well, we'll go into this. Um, we'll go into the reasons I perhaps didn't, but as a piece of cinema as far as like the images I was presented with and the way that you're you know you're made to well th that final scene typifies it for me he pulls off the solo and you're like yes that was yeah. amazing yeah. you know it, it it really does that um as a as a but then right before the cadence it goes to party phase <laughs> <laughs> as like a like a battle of wills film it really Really works, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll. Well, yeah, I think it's a very interesting premise as a sort of good guy and bad guy 
but it, it's not your average. It's it's a it is as it is as you say. It's a battle of wills, mm. but it's it's also a battle of intent, because he's being the the leader of the band is being he knows he's being absolutely ridiculous he says that he's being absolutely absolutely ridiculous in the film yeah because essentially he bullies him into you know betterment which is one way and one way of mean that you you either absolutely succeed with that or you completely and utterly fail yeah you break them you you mm. break them and they either break and they never pick up the instrument again or they just go or they have the self worth within themselves to just go well it didn't work playing with that guy I'm gonna go and play for someone else mm. hopefully they carry on playing when they leave but you know at, at, but it's interesting because like we've all played for big bands I I used to play drums for a big band. You're a drummer. No, and you've played for big, big band. Is, mm-hmm. You've played bass and keys for a big band, and you've played bass for a big band. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it, but I, I don't know about anybody else. But Colin Reese who used to run the um, the Kafili uh, Youth Big Band, which was a which was a good band. Like you know what I mean? But it wasn't an American university. Mm-hmm. This is what all we do. Good band, and it might be like that in some some sort of respect. But I I didn't really experience it in the sort of way of you know you had to get your part right. <laughs> but you know it wasn't like I'm a I'm a, <laughs> I'm a dragon I'm a speeding mm. <laughs> I'm a speeding I'm a dragon whoopersh <laughs> you know what I mean I, know, I, I, yeah. I thought as a film it was like pretty triumphant yeah. in the yeah. sense that yeah. it, it's generally I have this thing with some films where I have like an almost involuntary response to like clap when the credits are yeah. on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Like, so that sometimes happens. And with that film, I completely like complain landing. But at the yeah. same time, well, like, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's Ryanair and they tell you to clap or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but this, the, the, I, I assume the point we're heading towards is that as a kind of like the core of the film is not about music. The core yeah, of the yes. film is about the relation between these people. Yeah. And I am a big sucker for sports films. Mm-hmm. Like I love the I love the arc. It's a, it's kind of the hero's journey in a weird way, yeah. but it's always like you're coming from A to B and there's someone that is either hindering you or helping you whatever. And it is that film. This film could be a sports film and well, they almost yeah. make jazz into a sport. Well, we've, yeah. we've had this me and me and Jack have had this pretty much exact conversation. Yeah. There's a formula there for like what a good film is and it could be applied to sport yeah it could be yeah you know yeah for sure but the fact where all these problems have have arisen is because the this formula for a great film has been applied to something emotional uh you know an art form yes um more importantly chose to bring that into the film yeah exactly perhaps unwittingly some of the key elements of the art form in the eyes of jazz aficionados and this sort of thing have been sacrificed yeah, um, I, I, what is so? There's so, there's something to be. I know, I know we're actually going to get onto the meat of what we're talking about, but the the point is is that the director had experience in this world. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that can't be overlooked, surely. I mean, no, if yeah, it was, not. if it's some, if it's a director that is tackling a world, which happens all the time, like not everyone that is you know going to be doing some like you know study of family life in you know the. 18th century America, whatever, they're going to have no experience in that. <laughs> yeah. But it's about research. So this film could have been attempted and almost in a way feels like sometimes it's been attempted by someone that isn't from the world. Mm. But the fact that sci fi films have experience in Star Trek. Whiplash in Gla- space. Yeah. <laughs> Gladiator. <laughs> so I, I, guess, I guess what we're saying is that what 
yeah. So what what is that? What is this guy's responsibility yeah. to the world exactly. he knows? There's one the one question I really want to know is is the guy that is playing the drummer throughout? I've forgotten his name. Mars Teller. Teller. Mars Teller. Is he his drummer? Is he a drummer? Yeah, he was a drummer. He um, <clears throat> he studied for well, it's not study. He played around. He had a kit and he would he learned to a relative degree. But there's um, bits in that he, film. Yeah, but that. He, he's, yeah. he he's not at that level. No, no, he yeah. said, yeah, he said he he's came not, in. He's, there, there, there was one thing that really did get me and it was just like, I can't remember jazz having that many blast beats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I genuinely can't. And he's there and he's bleeding and I, yeah, don't get me wrong, I've, I, I have blisters, I've got blisters on my fingers <laughs> from the gig last night. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. If you do genuinely injure yourself when you play, when you play percussion or drums, you know what I mean? It's, it's a thing that happens and, Jay, the drummer last night, he he had a cut in his finger that just got worse and worse and worse by the stick. So you tape yourself up, you know what I mean? You do do that, but uh, I get why they use it in the film as to raise tension. Like, yeah. you know, oh, he's hurting. That's he's it. hurting, but I think it's also used to represent that he's hurting mentally. But they're That's portraying the it physically. There, there, are, um, there are certain things in the film um, that you can tell are used as like devices of intensity. Mm. And um, just as a quick side note, I think that's what this film hangs its hat on beautifully and that's it's constantly intense and when it yeah. gives you a break from that it does it very purposefully to set you up to for the then next be one hit again <laughs> for the next I, intense moment. Well, yeah that, i remember in the first 10 minutes of the film by the time they got to that bit where he's sat at the drum kit sat um, in front of his drum kit just staring at it listening to buddy rich and just you can just feel the intensity of the the weight that's over his head that i have to do this but I don't even know if I'm good enough for Fletcher, let alone to be the greatest drummer of mm. all time. Ten minutes into a film, and I'm already hooked, like completely. Yeah. Well, that that just sort of just taking it back, like no, I agree with you entirely. It's incredibly intense. We go back to the scene where he's practicing till his hands bleed. Like yes, there's been I've had gigs where I've looked down and there's blood just been splattered across my snare drum where I like just came down wrong because you're getting too yeah, into yeah. it or whatever. It's because you played but, it right and you got yeah. shot. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, but that's on a gig, and it, it's like. In a practice setting, it, it's one of those scenes where they sacrifice from the reality yeah. in order to make it dramatic. Yeah. Because he, we were, we were saying just last night, the scene where he plunged his bloody hand into the ice water yeah. was a, a brilliant shot. Like yeah. on on the screen, it yeah. looked amazing. But you and kind you of you kind of have to think it. if you're just sat in your room practicing. You, I'm make, bleeding. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, you'd be like, oh, well, I should just, change my technique. Yeah, baby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop now. You know. Yeah, but it's the idea. It's the idea that he couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah. No. because he wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. But then this is the that's whole thing. The, it's like that's not the emotional, improvisational, so it, collaborative yeah. spirit of jazz. I, I feel like someone is, that's is on it, the outside of it could relate. to Is it not an element of jazz though? Surely there is this. Ultra competitive. Well, you play double bass, so yeah. you play double bass. Well, so, so I don't know anything about that. Yes, no. I'm just talking. You play bass. There's no collaboration with that. You know what I mean? Virtuoso. I'm just talking. I'm just talking about yourself. like you know, virtuoso element of pushing yourself and it, it, there being the sort of idea of you get you know bloody fingers or whatever. Yeah. It's mm. it's the most hostile instrument to play. Oh yeah, sure. double bass. You know what I mean? But like. That's that's what I was doing by that. Yeah. So, and, and also, so you the, are just like completely zero collaborator. <laughs> the problem, the problem isn't so much. The problem isn't so much that it it takes intense slogging practice as part of its uh, as part of the film's weight. Um, the problem that people have with it is that they they present it as exclusively 
what it takes to be great. Yeah. And this is a huge problem that Richard Brody and some of the other people had with it. Um, uh, as a Richard Brody feels that as a consequence, the film has no music in its soul. There's me and Josh uh, had this. Um, we we just completely got blindsided in our own conversation about the thing when we realised that the soundtrack to that film is two songs. It's Whiplash and Caravan. Yeah. And the rest of it is drumming and shouting. Yeah, the rest of it, like, snippets of Buddy Rich, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and that song which that is Bob Ellis is drumming and shouting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, that's, that's the name of his autobiography. <laughs> drumming and shouting. Yeah. And, and that's... Making um, that them cry. And <laughs> so the point that he raises is that um, you never see um, Neiman practice with friends. You never see him writing music. You never see him and going out to jazz see, bars. Yeah, yeah. You only see... Um, you. He brings up that you don't even know if he's any good. You only know that he's a, he's a wind-up monkey who can... No, you don't know Neiman's any good. You just know that he can hit the notes that he's being told to by Fletcher. Like, what would happen if you put him with a double bassist and a pianist and said, let's just go over a tune, no charts. We yeah. have no idea if that character is any good at that. Mm, and yeah. I just being, have a being... joke going on in my head from Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, I know. But you cannot deny that he was absolutely hilarious at the time. He might have been a boom run in some cases. But, you know, they're just that, you know, you went the whack! You know, I thought we might be able to get through a, an hour conversation about music without talking about Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, but, but we're talking go. we're talking about jazz drumming, and it's exactly the same this thing. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what so, he did? And this is military-style obedience rather than musical intelligence. Exactly. was one of the um, quotes from... I believe it was Richard Brody. It might be a a thing I read off the back of it, but... However, it was was like boot camp. um, Competitive ambition rather than getting involved with the music as perhaps people who are in the real world of jazz now do. Yeah. Um, One one problem I have with the film um, on that front was that, like... I realised that a lot of what made the film work for me was what I was putting onto the film as an implication. So I watched the whole film thinking that Neiman was creative and had all this stuff in him and that he deserved what he was going for, and then I had it pointed out to me that that wasn't in the film at all. And I was like, so that that came from me. Yeah, did we and express the that because we have, the, we have an experience of a relationship-ish yeah, like Yeah, so that. I imprinted yeah. my own experience onto that. Yeah. And I said that like I think I'm incredible and creative. But like I, I've, I've gone through all the, all the different phases of pushing different parts of my musical self, whereas he's just showing the technical side of it. And I was going, well, I've done that. So I, he also must be doing all the other stuff that I've done as well yeah. to push myself. And it's there are a few of these moments, such as uh, like again back to that practicing scene. In in my interpretation of it, I was like, yeah, this this is a good representation of the overall struggle condensed down into yeah, something visual it. that I can that makes it more relatable. Yeah. But then, what about the audience members who will see that and go, oh, so that's what happens when you practice to, good enough to be the best you bleed that's what happens yeah, you will bleed and you will patch yourself up and you'll bleed again and you to, will risk your health for this if your race, every time if your race is to play the fastest because that is essentially all it is is mm. he wants he um i've forgotten the guy's name again what's the band leader's name fletcher fletcher, fletcher. fletcher wants neiman to play faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and it's just you know it's finding that last 
f two or three or four or five BPM to get up to his tempo mm -hmm. that he wants him to play. But the thing is, is when we're talking about the creativity element of it not being portrayed in the film, if all he did in his practice was just, I need to play this faster, I need to be able to play faster, and if he wasn't a creative element with himself, he wouldn't have been able to pull off the final scene of actually getting that solo out. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not you know what I mean? super... I don't think that's as important as maybe people have made out. I think there, there's no doubt in my mind, at least the way the character's portrayed, that I... As a musician, I watched that film with the kind of secure knowledge, even though there was no real reason for it, that Fletcher knew what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, and that, the that is cinematography. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's implied in everything, but I, I I would never say that his goal for his students, of which there are every discipline, yeah. this is focusing yeah. on drums, but like the, the guy, the the you know the kind of very sad subplot of this ex kind of mentor relate a mentor student relationship like committing suicide mm -hmm. is is you know shows that you're getting a very narrow field mm. yeah. of this guy's influence over this music school yeah. so at the same time like yes there's something about the fastness but it's all it's about breaking the spirit it's yeah. not it's the reason he has those guys that was it the three of them or is it eventually two or whatever like yeah, yeah, playing three, fast and fast for hours and hours no, three and hours. the original drummer and then the yeah, uh, the, and then the drummer from guys. the B band um, two, two drummers then, from the B not, band of which Neiman's one of them surely it's not about that it's about it, yeah, but it's the, a period in his, it's a period he sees it as a period in their creative and professional life yeah. where they need to be relentlessly like basically broken down he mm. does see that but also being in uh, like having sat in the drummer's chair the relationship you have with conductor is keeping tempo mm. and you've got to keep feeling you've got to keep tempo yeah right because because the uh, you're essentially the only uh not the only you are you are the, you are the percussive element of the rhythm section you know the rhythm section has to be really tight yeah in order for it to work but the thing is is the the drummer chair came up in in the beginning of the film because you never really you don't get to see the rest of the band because you always assume that the rest of the band are cooking are really good and fine but when you walk into a relationship like that and you are the new guy i i kind of like how the film does that because you we see the band from neiman's point of view because yeah. We see them as new people because when you, when we walk into that room, you just go, "Oh my god, this is his band! Yeah. These guys must be the best guys in the world yeah. right now." You know what I mean? And that's kind of the relationship that you can you can get with with bands that because people walk into a room and you just go, "I have heard of that guy, and I know that he is incredible, mm -hmm. and I know that he's famously brutal." Mm. And then you get called up to play for him, and it's just like. <gasps> Oh my word! Right, mm -hmm. that we're seeing it from that is shot from that angle. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And when you go, when you see him going around the band tuning people, and just goes Trump, uh, trumpets, you uh, there's someone. No, it's not you. Saxes, mm. no, it's not you. Trombones, okay, one, two, three, four. One, two, okay, three, uh, four. Right, it's you. Is it you? Are you flat? Um. Are you flat? Um, are you sharp? Are you flat? Um, are you sharp or are you flat? I don't Get out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then you find out later in the film that it was actually number two. Yeah. That was flat. It's just number four. Didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. And so that was that was already warrant enough for us us as an audience 
to be able to see that band as just being like, oh my God, all these guys are, are still actually genuinely struggling through this, but they are doing their utmost because they know what is required of them. Mm. But we, as the audience going in with Neiman, have this sort of like almost egotistical thing of we've been asked to go into the main band, you know what I mean? And then you get there and it's completely... They're the main band for a reason. What's the... So what is the... The most important question here is that breaking down a spirit to achieve that level of playing, Mm. uh, is that necessary (laughs) or is that counterintuitive to the entire point of Janice in the first place because those are the two points you can't answer that's not that's not a question well no it's it's a question being brought up by Richard Brody and these just so that's that's the the point here is that they are they are suggesting that because the focus is entirely on that that it takes away from the soul of the film and that the film doesn't actually address music it addresses military style but I think position. that is the point of the film exactly yeah. but, but, but I think I think I, I don't think it's talking about music I think it's talking about that situation it's talking about the relationship I think it's yeah, genuinely yeah. talking about I mean, that yeah. relationship and that situation you have a responsibility. and people have yeah. taken it to just go well that's what big bands are that's <laughs> the problem people Why walking a away used to conduct with a pipe people it's amazing <laughs> John Collier these, big these, love these reviewers are worried about the implications of pe- the average person who doesn't have that experience with the big band or with jazz walking away from it, seeing that the the jazz world is all about pain and punishment, and it's not about finding something that you're passionate. About. Would this be a problem if there were as many films about big bands as there are about you know football? No, exactly. I I mean, I yes, mean yes, yes, it's a, yes, it's a problem, and yes, it's a problem of image, and it's as kind of it, musicians were partially inside this world but i mean i don't think it i think you have you you can have a bee in your bonnet about how jazz is portrayed but i think your personal standpoint about if jazz is your me if jazz is your art there is going to be a vast spectrum of people of what jazz is to them yeah, i think absolutely. this is I think, I think this is potentially offending a quite a narrow section possibly yeah. the purely creative because there is mm. absolutely an element of you know, uh, kind of showmanship and kind of basically, uh, you know, just full-on ego that yeah. goes in with that. So we're yeah, not yeah, addressing yeah. that. But Richard, yeah. Richard Brody doesn't particularly take a fancy to Buddy Rich, mm. who That's who is this. It's he, the core of the, the film. Sh- he's yeah, the showman. Yeah, yeah. He's the... In the jazz world, like, uh, particularly jazz drummers, like, Buddy Rich was the hard line. He was like a Fletcher in his band leading... And a showman in his own right. Exactly. You know, like he's, he, he's, he's a James Brown. You yeah, get it wrong, he, he's going to shoot you. Yeah, he <laughs> would get up. Well, I watched a video just this morning, sort of some Buddy Rich videos. The first video I watched, he plays like a snare drum intro thing. Then when the band come in, they, they got through maybe a bar and a half and he stopped them and started again. And this was live on TV as yeah, well. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can get where Richard Brody's coming from in disliking the the film the image that the film presents because he doesn't like that sort of militaristic uh way of teasing out the best music mm. he prefers when the, the count bases and the nurturing yeah. side, side of developing the the younger talents <laughs> i would things. i would be interested to see and potentially this could be found but yeah there's no doubt that, that it worked but it's, yeah <laughs> where because uh, I because because this is a subject you brought in, Jack. But like, are there are there people that are uh, that see this as a positive thing? Yeah, yeah. 
But there must be. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that does bring be, yeah. jazz to a wider audience. It does bring. It do, but like but I don't think. I don't, even I, though it could. But do you not think that the, the final, the final message of the film, kind of, like it's almost as if they take. You know that basically we're talking. You know, the well without spoiling it, but yeah, the he he basically he drops out. Yeah. You know he fails. Yeah. Oh wow. And that's... then, but then the you're seeing this. You're seeing the journey of basically this process not working and him basically completely melting down mentally. And then, you know, yes, there's this kind of whole coda to the film of where you know we no idea what Fletch is up to with it, and it's eventually triumphant. Yeah. But I don't think the film is as it is showing it 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 takes someone like Buddy Rich as like an icon and really builds mm, this yeah. guy's like mm. persona as a musician around him but at the same time like we see Fletcher in his environment yeah, yeah. and it. we see him as a jazz creative musician just doing these small little trio gigs so mm. that kind of softens him and i yeah, think that does it give it a does. bit more roundness it's just to it. there's just one thing i want to, it, 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 Fletcher and Neiman aren't real people this no, is no, this is okay it's okay that is completely fictional right okay I think that's one of the biggest things, mm. right? It is completely f- fictional, right? And they went down the route of we are going to explore what it takes to create someone to be able to play a solo like Buddy Rich, if you see what I mean. That's mm, massive yeah. generic term, but the thing is, it and and there have been articles that have been written about it that have been like it's it's terribly damaging to the image of a big band for this to happen. No. To be fair, on a sliding scale of I, I never bled, but there was that thing inside where you because when they're talking about militaristic, as uh, mil- military style, you know, military influence, discipline. discipline. When you're playing with twenty five people, they don't ha- they don't the band leader doesn't have time to to baby people. Mm-hmm. You have to baby yourself. If that's what you need, or you have to, you have to be able to hold your own corner. Yeah. That's yes, fundamentally absolutely. what it's about. But the thing is, is one of the main things I want to say is that this is not the first music film by any stretch of the imagination, right? But it's not even his first music. It's not, film. It's not even his his first music film. But the thing is, is like when we watch things like Tina, and we watch things like Ray. Mm. Right, Ray is an absolutely incredible film that goes into telling that person's story. Then we watch Tina, which is an absolutely incredible piece of, you know, cinema. But it is fundamentally, there are absolutely incredible sides of it. There are absolutely savage sides of it. Mm. But because it's based on a true story, and it is mostly autobiographical, or biographical rather, it's, there. there's that element of it that was just go, wow, yes, but look at the body of work that we can look at that's come from that that, that has yeah, come from that crucible. Done, that, mm. that ha- that's how that happens. Something oh my word! Level. You know what I mean. Yeah. There's something actual tangible. But whereas this film sort of leaves you in the lurch of, okay, well, uh, I I see it as like there there are bands in America, there are bands around the world that that do deal with themselves like that, and they do have guys at the front that are just going to bark orders, yeah, and that are going to you know be there for you as a, as a band leader if they need you to, if you yeah. if you needed there, but they're not going to baby you. Mm. They are going to break you down, and they are going to make you work for it. Yeah, and they're gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna uh, they aren't gonna work for it. They're gonna make you work for them in order to you know yeah. to get what they want out of you. You know what I mean? There's that element of it, of it, but the thing is, is if it was actually about if it was about the young life and the development of Buddy Rich, for example, yeah, 
You know what I mean? I I don't think there would be so much of a, a so much of an aura of how how damaging this is to mm. jazz. Yeah, because the because I don't think fictional... I don't think Tina Tina's yeah. film damaged her career or soul. Yeah. You know, R and B in any way. You know what I mean? A, if you're coming up with an original story, you have a responsibility to for what you're portraying. If you're, Absolutely. If you're yeah. telling a, an autobiographical story, yeah. you don't have to worry about the horrible yeah. things they did in their life because they actually happened. Actually happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, in any exactly. sense. Any, any sense. Probably we do need to move on. Move on yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're running a little bit over, but you know, let's, let's just roll with it. Just to signing it off, one right. of the last comments that I read, which I really liked, it's like, despite the perhaps responsibility that you know things have been misrepresented whatever despite his overripe overripe contrivance sorry you leave the cinema with a spring in your step well exactly because, true. Yeah. because it's and a it's good like, film yeah exactly it's, yeah. it's like yeah but you, yeah. you leave you, leave, you leave, yeah it is it is a, yeah exactly you leave you, you, you say, saying that it, it comes it comes to a, it doesn't necessarily come to a positive cadence because we you know we we still we saw how how the film got to where mm-hmm. it got to but it still is. It still leaves you with that. Oh my God! Yeah. He succeeded in what he wanted yeah, to exactly. do. My favorite. My favorite implication of the whole film is is right at the end. He feels triumphant, coming right out of the gate. Like, yeah. Yes, I nailed that second song. Everyone in the Lincoln Theatre. There's so many people out there who could potentially hire me on for a gig. And then just thinking of two of the big jazz guys out in the audience. So do you think you're going to hire this kid? Well, no. Did you see what you did in the first song? He tanked it. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, like, exactly. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what. It's, absolutely sideswiped it. There's no <sighs> point. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, solo though. Yeah, <laughs> kudos to whoever actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> Next, last bit of business, as it were. Yes, absolutely. So, is this the tube? Still? Night tube. Ow! Oh, no. on, on the night, night tube. tube. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Beautiful, beautiful. So, basically, as it says here. London has never had an, uh, an overnight underground service. There's actually only, uh, well, there's a few. New York, Chicago, Stockholm, Copenhagen, Berlin, and Sydney. So some of those you're like, well, I didn't even know they had metros or yeah. whatever. But it's a, it's a sign of a you know, progressive mm, city yeah. with a you know, solid infrastructure. Whatnot. So London, as of, it says October on the posters, but I heard the other day it's going to be October. It says September on the posters. Mm. So... You know, they're already doing well. Tiafala, yeah. already spot-on target, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so bias here, you know, we just have to deal with these guys quite a lot. So, they're saying, is one of the things... I love Tiafala. All right. <laughs> uh, it says here, tour- tourism in London, this is just in general points, uh, was £16 billion in 2013 alone. And uh, for every £1 spent in London... A tourist spent seventy eight p. So whoa, what? Yes, whoa now. What? So all of the all of the business that we have Jesus. about oh yeah, it, you know, a couple of years it was for every one pound spent in Britain, uh, no, for every eight pound spent in Britain, one pound spent in Tesco or whatever. I mean, that's not the case anymore. But uh, <laughs> you know, London completely relies on this. Completely yeah, relies on this in a general sense. And I mean, obviously, as a you know, we're talking about music here. Uh, it's the, the effects. Like cheaper getting home from gigs. Well, yeah, there's there's all sorts of these kind of things, but I mean, they're talking about yes, it's going to make jobs, it's going to do this. The West End, especially, it's there's all the lines that run through the West End. This is if you haven't read about this, it's Friday night and Saturday night is going to be 24 hours. On which lines? Oh, do, I will tell you. On the oh god, here we go. Uh, sorry, Look, do it off the tube. Ru- Come rustling, on, rustling, but it's it's not it's not. Oh yeah, uh, from the middle of 2015. Uh, not true. 
<laughs> Central, Jubilee, Northern, Charing Cross branch, which is to be fair the only one that's normally actually no, that's not rude because because that's the one that goes through the West End. The Bank yeah. branch is normally the one because that's the one that goes straight through the moon. Piccadilly and Victoria. So with that, you've got as a, there's a little. I mean, obviously you can't see it if you're listening. I don't know how you'd be seeing this, but uh, mm-hmm. there is it basically. Is servicing the West End is what we're really talking about when, and, when but it, also massively North London and North West London and North yeah, South I mean, as well. I mean, they've 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 got we've I've got all sorts of facts and figures in front of me, but there's this there's this interesting uh, kind of graph thing here, which is I was drawn with a fountain pen. That, yeah, it was looked like someone's just dropped ink on it, but it's <laughs> forecast station exit. So it's essentially where are people going to be getting on? Where are people going to be getting off? And the vast majority is in the middle of zone one, which yeah. is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. But that is where they want the business to be happening. It's yeah. probably good that the hundred clubs saved then. Well, <laughs> you know, there's hundred clubs on Oxford Street. That's the way, thing. Will they're talking about the West End? They're, they're even talking. I mean, this. A problem, the problem is whenever you have reports like this, is that this it's such it's such an unknown quantity. You know, you've got this m- massive project which will, without question, affect London. But in what senses? Like they have this whole category here: quantifiable impacts. This is basically entirely economic, as in how many jobs it will make. Great, you know, have good new jobs, time time saving for journeys. Uh, for every one pound spent, it will benefit the tube two pound seventy. You know, this is just money. Unquantifiable is a, a bigger column, and this is just all the things that they hope will happen. Yeah, and this, but including you know potential for opening for longer opening hours for bars, clubs, restaurants, bowling alleys, cinemas, museums, galleries, attractions. So, you know, realistically, you know. It would be stupid for people not to take advantage mm. of this. Yeah, I can and, s- I can finally set up my late night jazz bowling alleys. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's going to be great. Yeah. Well, what, bowling alleys has its own bowling place alleys, on that list. Bowling alleys, <laughs> bowling alleys in this context is as important as Western theatres. So, um, <laughs> uh, no disrespect to bowling alleys. Yeah, no, no. I've got to love a bit of bowling alley. Yeah, all all, all our bowling alley owning listeners. I'm not going to lie, but the thing, yeah, but the thing is, is like, if there was an option, if there was an option from for us, like we live on the Jubilee Line. Yes. You know that is it's you can be from where we are sitting now, including walking time. You can be standing outside Big Bang within half an hour, twenty five yeah. minutes. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that it still blows my mind. Yeah, and for you to be able to do that twenty four hours a day on a Friday and a Saturday, is astonishing and it's fantastic. We run we what well, Lemongrass. We run um, something called the Last Gig in Town. Uh, which is, uh, you know, we might have to change the name for. It runs midnight till 4am on a Friday in Kilburn, in Kilburn, which is on the Jubilee line, which is going to be affected by this 24 hour tube. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking Cause about. Because if it, it, the thing is, like, most venues, like, you know, people like the Barfly and um, uh, Half Moon and things like that, they either rely very heavily on the 24-hour bus service if they go past 11 o'clock. Because people look at their watch, see that they, oh, we've got to get the last tube. Bye! And they leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then what does the venue do? Do they close down or do they leave their door open and just go, please come in? There's a big psychological It's still good! You know what I mean? Knowing you can go... Uh, Knowing you can go home by something that you are familiar with, yeah, rather than the unknown yeah. of the night bus, which admittedly we all have. Yeah, but we haven't even thought of the job. We already know what a twenty-four hour bus is. You yeah. know what I mean? And it is like, you know, there are varying, varying. <laughs> they can Qualities be pretty of dodgy. Journey. Qualities yeah. of journey yeah. do do fluctuate wildly, but we haven't even quite, thought of the joys of a nice tube. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. 
Mm-hmm. Well, well, we, we we do in a way because this is notwithstanding the fact that London already has twenty four hour tube on one day of the year, yeah, which yes. is New Year's Eve. Which is wow, fantastic. That should not be taken as a case study because that is, of course, complete carnage. That's basically a but, human sardine experiment. At the same time, you know, boozy the, sardine. The, the point. I mean, we've all, we all had this. Like, if I've I've worked in Greenwich a little bit and. When you're coming back to Northwest London, you obviously have to come through uh, Canary Wharf yeah. if you're coming from the DLR or whatever. So, and the kicking out at the O2 is like a second rush hour. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. If that place is full and these guys are all funneling yeah. into one direction of tube, yeah. or yeah. that probably some people are going back. Well, Waterloo maybe, but somewhere you'd imagine if it's that late, it's only about half eleven. Yeah. They'd be staying in London, so they've got places to be. And realistically, most people are going to be coming west, yeah, because you've only really yeah. got Stratford to to the east. So this is a a very it's almost like a problem you would never expect. You've come home, you've finished whatever you were doing, you just want to sit down and just have a little relax. And it's you can't even get on the tube. Yeah, it's like Tottenham Court Road in the Central Line at five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? So Absolutely. that kind of thing. Whilst it will still happen across the board, there's going to be, be a spread. lot more. Yeah, there'll be a lot more options. I mean, one thing we haven't really touched on, which is a big issue, and will this will probably be resolved in the next like five years or so, is like the legal implications of everything of like licensing laws. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Because yes, some the amount of venues that are actually opening or open until you know even on Friday and Saturday, like past one. Is like relatively little, mm. and yeah. the, the costs of the councils uh, for those, li- yeah. the costs the councils are putting on those licensing fees are going up. Of course, and they're going to go up again yeah. when this happens. I, I, I'm calling it now because that's going to be an incredible way for them to make money in their eyes. And you but the, kind of can't fault that logic, but at the same point, you are that is going to make they, it harder they, for these venues to take advantage of this. Yeah, but like, rates yeah. rise. Rates rise is always viewed on the sort of angle of. Uh, yes, but you are able to do business for much longer, aren't you? Yeah. So we're going to take a slightly larger pl- slice. We're not going to, or we're going to take a proportional slice. But we all know this is trying to screw it as well, still, from what we were talking yeah. about earlier. So still completely within the realm of unquantifiable. If yes. this res- yes. if this results in someone going, do you know what? We're actually we are now completely able to have live music run f- until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, that will fundamentally rely on licensees. And licensors making that decision happen yeah. because there are some venues that are in prime locations that are still doing really well. There are in that are in smack bang locations that they aren't in. Like for example, Proud. Mm. You know what I mean? If because Proud is already pretty unlimited with its time at the moment. Yeah, but, because there's no residential super close. To exactly. Near, yeah. near, but but not. also it's in an area that they expect to be kind of loud because it's yeah. in Camden mm. because it, it has that history. Yeah. You know what I mean? Camden Town's going to be... I doubt you're going to have a blind... Camden Town's going to be... Tiger situation in Camden. No, yeah. no. But, you know, if this promotes new venues going... Or new... Or, you know, hopefully this doesn't result in a in a, in the massive influx that happened when... Um, uh, PAs and technology got small enough for every single pub to call themselves a venue, mm. <clears throat> which is another discussion that I think mm. we should talk about at, at some point in the future. 
you know, where the where they just go, oh, we have a corner of a room that doesn't sell out on a Friday that we're gonna we're gonna put music in. Oh, fantastic, wonderful. You know what I mean? What's the quality of music gonna be? Never mind. How is the pay gonna work? Exactly. And is there pay? Yeah. <laughs> pay? Oh, God, I didn't realize you took money for this. Anyway, but um, you know, the, I I think I think that that's generally gonna be a good thing. I think you know. But oh, having said that, I used to live I used yeah. to live opposite Kilburn Tube Station. And the quiet, well, you, well, you were there quite yeah. a lot. And, you know, the quietest time of night was between 10 to 1 and half past 5 yeah, for in sure. the morning. Yeah. And it was silent until they started doing the upgrade works for the Jubilee Land, which they're continually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it was silent. But then at half past 5 in the morning, you would stir. And you'd go, oh, there's number one. <laughs> 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 And they go. Yeah, but no, you know, no, absolutely. It's single living totally... opposite a tube station. You're going to get those tunes in your head. You yeah, know I mean, absolutely. And it, but you, people, that, there are a lot of residences built along the above ground sides of the underground because the underground is called the underground, even though seventy five percent of it is above ground. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well done, TFL, on that brand. Right. <laughs> but thank you TFL for uh, you know uh, charging us that much money oh yeah, yeah it's great. <laughs> every, every time the price of travelling goes up I just you know just I, go I, do you know what I, I just so see where the money's going I just get better. happier and happier anyway. the service is getting so much better then no well, they are they, they've claimed that they're going to have uh, uh, employees at every tube station from beginning to end which means that those places are going to be manned from Friday morning at half five until Sunday, Sunday evening, evening. yeah do you know what that probably is, though? This is a little bit of, like, conspiracy theory speculation. Okay. But they did just sack, like, 900 people. Yeah, they did. So They were just like, all the ticket offices the, are now not happening. Half the promise of Most the, of the, the union offices. at that point not going on a, you know, crippling strike was that a percentage, and that, I'm not entirely sure, I think it was, like, a third to two-thirds, would find further employment in TFLs or yeah. with the London Underground Network. So... You know, there's going to be fluffers. The politics behind, you know, the politics behind this, which is, is just to clarify, the people that go and sweep the tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, yeah, it's they're going to have to be manned. They're obviously going to be at least initially. It'll be more, more. What we want is more police presence, realistically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you know, I'd, at the end of they, the day, they, these they guys that work yeah. that work on these places are not like trained security people. So, they, but there, there are there are already that like you know TFL. Not TFL, sorry. British Transport Police do have a dedicated underground police force. Oh, of course they do. And, but and that... I've actually had a chat. Yeah. I had a chat to one of them, and we talked about the twenty-four hour tube. All right. And she said that they're actually having a big recruitment drive. Of for course, that they're going to have to. And mm. I was just like, you know what? That to be fair, like people, people genuinely are quite well behaved because if someone's going to steal from you or someone's going to do something nasty to you in a tunnel. They're gonna to have to be pretty, very either very good at running upstairs, like to get away from mm. someone, or you know they're gonna have to run down the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, away from the very lift. quick, <laughs> very quick. Yeah. But you know, it, it's it's, it's, eastbound. I, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. So I'm just like you know, hopefully people will just see it as oh we can use this piece of tube. You know, mm. we can use this strip of track for 24 hours rather than never underestimate drunken population oh yeah. absolutely. we'll see we will I see. deal with drunken population yeah. on a routine basis yeah, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well anyway yeah. but that was that was really good fun I enjoyed that yeah we've uh, 
we've covered some interesting stuff. And yeah. Let us know what you think. Find us on Facebook. Just go on Lemongrass Pro and find us on YouTube and we're on there. Lemongrass yeah. Pro. I was about find to say... On, find us on Twitter. We're on Lemongrass Pro. Find us on Tumblr. We're Lemongrass Pro. Mm. Find us on Instagram. We're Lemongrass Pro. Yeah. And, find you us know. on Teletubbies. Lemongrass Pro. Yeah. Lemongrass <laughs> 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 I was about to say like where we're going to be putting this up but if you've already got to this stage... Well done. You've, <laughs> firstly... You've gone further than we have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so... Well, Tarvu. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Yeah. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Winning! <laughs>